And if you have a Bible, go to Psalm 108. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have uh, the passage up here on the screen in just a moment. Psalm 108 tonight. Praise God. Is, is God good or what? Amen. Tonight we're going to begin reading out of this 108th Psalm. We'll begin at verse 1, but our focus is going to be beginning at verse 7. So Psalm of David, and really most scholars believe that Psalm 108 is a combination of two psalms that David brought together for a particular moment and purpose in his life, and that is interesting uh, in and of itself, because uh, the two psalms that he brought together were one a psalm of praise and another was a psalm of prayer. And it lets us know that sometimes uh, you have to do a little bit of both. Sometimes you go into life's situations and you need to pray and you need to praise at the same time. Uh, and so we're going to read this psalm beginning at verse 1, Psalm 108, verse 1. My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing. I will sing praises even with my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I awake with the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples, and I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your loving kindness is great above the heavens, and your truth reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and your glory above the earth, that your beloved may be delivered, save with your right hand, and answer me. God has spoken in his holiness, and I will exalt, and I will portion out Shechem, and measure out the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim also is the helmet of my head, Judah is my scepter, Moab is my washbowl. Over Edom I shall throw my shoe, and over Philistia I will shout aloud. Who will bring me into the besieged city, and who will lead me to Edom? Have not you yourself, O God, rejected us, and you will not go forth with our armies, O God? O give us help against the adversary, for deliverance by man is in vain. Through God we will do valiantly, and it is he who shall tread down our adversaries. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for the presence of the Holy Spirit in our midst. We're so grateful for the opportunity to be in the house of prayer. I ask now that you would anoint my lips of clay to teach the word of the living God. And I pray that you would anoint the hearing of this congregation, that in receiving the word tonight, it might be fruitful in our daily life. We ask that in Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, it's been an uh, interesting few days in South Texas, hasn't it? Uh, the last few days uh, have been uh, particularly stressful for some people, more so than uh, for others. And thank God that uh, we in Beeville are starting to see life return uh, to normal for the most part. But there's still a great number of our uh, state and uh, neighbors who are in need uh, daily of uh, provisions. And so... We want to thank all of you who have donated to that cause here at the church, as well as those of you uh, who participated on Sunday afternoon with helping our sister church in Rockport. Uh, we were able to do, get a lot done, and there's going to be more work being done tomorrow through Saturday. So if anybody 
uh, has the time and the ability to help, uh, talk to Elder Kano, and he will uh, he'll let you know about how you can help with that. But uh, thank you all for your uh, contributions and your giving to that effort. Uh, we want to be a good neighbor as a church, and we want to be uh, the hands and feet of Jesus uh, to people in particular at a time of need. And so uh, we're grateful to God for the opportunity to serve others. And you know, sometimes you find, you discover that uh, when you are going through a problem and uh, all you do is focus on that problem, the problem just seems to magnify, gets bigger. But when you start serving somebody else, even when you're going through problems or going through some trials, your problems start to seem a little smaller as you realize that God is able to use you to be a, a vessel of hope to somebody else. In fact, the scripture says uh, to uh, love the Lord and do good. And so uh, when you start doing good, you start serving somebody else. It is a great a blessing not only to them but to our own heart, our own soul. It starts to be uplifting to our spirit. So I want to encourage you to do that. And uh, tonight I want to just bring to you a couple of phrases out of this chapter. There's a lot going on in this chapter, but a couple of things in particular that I want to bring out. And just to give you a context for it, the life of David uh, is a very important one in the history of the Bible. And most people know David as the young boy that killed Goliath. But really David lived a long and a blessed life as God not only gave him strength to kill Goliath in his youth, but he became the king of Israel and would lead Israel to take a great uh, territory, a great possession of land, which the nation of Israel has not seen again since the reign of King David. And in fact, the Bible talks about Jesus as being the lion of the tribe of Judah and a child or a son of David, a seed of David. So the messianic line comes through David. And so David's name and David's family is an important one uh, for us in the Bible. And it's important for uh, the history of the, of the uh, Messiah, the history of our Lord Jesus Christ in particular. And so tonight when we, when we read Psalm 108, we read about David in the middle of a time in his life when things were not going the way that God had said they would go. Uh, in, in other words, David was not seeing the promises of God realized fully in his life. Anybody ever been there? Uh, I thought I, I would uh, get some agreement tonight. Anybody ever been there? Let's be honest about it, all right? There are some moments where your circumstances contradict the, the voice and the promise of God in your life. Hay momentos en nuestra vida cuando nuestras circunstancias contradicen las promesas de Dios en nuestra vida. In fact, many times circumstances will contradict the plan and purpose and promise of God over your life. Muchas veces las circunstancias de, de la vida contradicen la palabra de Dios. And you and I have to get used to the fact that circumstances are going to contradict the voice of God, but circumstances do not overpower the voice of God. Say amen, somebody. Las circunstancias pueden contradecir la palabra de Dios, pero nunca son superior o mayor que la palabra de Dios. Jesus said it like this. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass 
pass away. Jesús lo dijo de esta manera, el cielo y la tierra pasarán, pero mi palabra nunca pasará. That means that God's word is an eternal word. La palabra de Dios es una palabra eterna. It is, a, it is an eternal promise. La promesa de Dios es una promesa eterna. Es algo que permanece, que prevalece. It is enduring and it is permanent. And so friends, if you have a word from God, that word is as good as the thing that it speaks about. Say amen, somebody. Si usted tiene la promesa de Dios, usted tiene la misma cosa que, que Dios le ha prometido. And so the first line of this psalm is very important because what, what David is going through is this, that God has told him he's going to be the king of Israel. And I'll just explain to you how important that is because the Messiah is going to come through his bloodline. He's going to be the king of Israel. We know that God spoke in such a clear way because the anointing of God came upon him when he was anointed by Samuel as a young man to be the king of Israel. The scripture tells us that Samuel went to the house of Jesse, the father of David, and he tried to anoint David's older brother. And the, uh, the scripture says that the Lord had said to Samuel, take your horn of oil and go to the house of Jesse. I'm going to anoint a king. And so he goes to the first brother and he tries to anoint him king. And many scholars believe that when Samuel the prophet raised up the ram's horn full of oil and tried to pour it out over uh, Eliab's head, that the oil would not flow. And so he went to brother number two And he raised that ram's horn up over him, and the oil would not flow. Now, you know gravity, right? Gravity tells you that if you pick up a, a jar full of oil and, and turn it upside down, then it's going to flow. Nothing's going to stop it from flowing. But in this case, the oil would not flow. And he went through all of David's brothers, and the oil wouldn't flow. And so finally Samuel said, all right, do you have any other sons? And he said, well, you know, there's that little, the little runt of the litter out there in the field, uh, but nobody cares about David. And he said, well, call David over. We're not going to eat until David comes. Now you know you're important. And they won't eat till you come. And David comes in, and when, when, when uh, Samuel raised that ram's horn of oil over his head, the oil began to flow. And God spoke in that act by saying, this is the man that I have anointed. This is the one that I have chosen. Friends, Jesus is the anointed one of God. There, if you go over to Buddha and you pour that, try to pour that oil on his head, it doesn't flow. You go over to Mohammed, the oil doesn't flow. You go over to Abraham, the oil doesn't flow. You go over to Mary, the oil doesn't flow. The anointing only flows on the head of Jesus Christ, God's chosen one. Come on, somebody. You got to say Amen. And the only way that the anointing can flow on our life is if you are under Christ. The anointing flows upon God's chosen one. And David in that was a picture of Christ. And so God spoke to his life, you're going to be the king of Israel. But the next day he wasn't wearing a crown. And the next week he wasn't wearing a crown. And the next year he wasn't wearing a crown. In fact, it would take about 15 years before David would wear the crown. How many of you could wait 15 years? 
for God to give you what he promised. And I didn't get any amens. You're like, Pastor, I'm not signing up for that. I have a hard enough time waiting 15 minutes. But he waited a long time to wear the crown. And then when he finally wore the crown, there were 12 tribes in the nation of Israel. How many? 12. Only two of them acknowledged David is king. So now he's wearing half a crown. Really, he's wearing two-twelfths of a crown. And, and he's starting to get a little frustrated by the fact that he's saying, wait a minute, God has promised me a whole pie, and I've only got two slices of the pie. Any of you ever gotten just two slices of a promise? You guys aren't being honest tonight. You ever just feel like, Lord, you promised these things to me, and I'm, I'm seeing some of it. And you know what you got to do? If you only have two slices of a 12-piece pie, you got to thank God for the two slices. All right? Stop, stop looking around and saying, where's the rest of my stuff? Where's the rest of my blessing? Just enjoy what God has provided for this season. And, and enjoy the fact that what God has given you is sufficient for today. You realize that God has given you everything you need for today. Dios te ha dado lo que tú necesitas para hoy. But sometimes we get frustrated because we're being blessed in some ways, but not in all the ways that we want to be blessed. A veces somos bendecidos en unas áreas y no en todas las áreas. Y comenzamos a ser frustrados, comenzamos a, a renegar, we start to be frustrated, we start to complain against God. And that's where David does a little cutting and pasting, and he takes two psalms. He takes two songs and he brings them together. Have you ever done that? You're singing one song and then you're trying to remember the words and you start singing the words of another song. Well, David did that on purpose. He took a song of praise and he took a song of prayer and he brought them together. He was saying, God, right now there's not really a song that fits the bill, so I'm just going to have to make one. I'm going to have to find all the ingredients in, the, in my life to be able to express to you what I'm going through, so I want to praise you for what I have, but I'm going to keep praying for what I don't have. I'm going to bless you for what you've given me, but I'm not going to be quiet about what hasn't come into my life yet. Come on, somebody. Is there anybody that knows how to pray and praise? You can say, God, I thank you for what you've done so far, but I'm not going to stop asking. I'm not going to stop praying. I'm not going to stop seeking because you said, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open unto you. Say amen, somebody. And so he pulls these two psalms together. And in the first part of the psalm, he starts praising God. And this is a phrase I want to focus in on for just a moment. He says, my heart is steadfast. The old King James used the word fixed. My heart is fixed. What does it mean to be fixed? What does it mean to be steadfast? Literally, the word there implies that you have nailed something down. And David is saying, my heart is nailed down to what God has promised me. My heart is fixed. I can't, my heart is in a permanent setting. It can't be moved. 
It cannot be dissuaded. It cannot be changed. My mind is not going to be changed about this. I have trusted in God. I have believed in God. I put my hope in God. I put my trust in Him. And I'm not going to be moved. Friend, this is the first step you and I must go through every single day is say, Lord, fix my heart. Um, I want to be permanent in my settings toward you. The winds may blow. The trials may come. The sun may be hot. The, the work may be hard. There may be lots of labor involved in doing the thing you call me to do. But I want my heart to be steadfast, immovable, unshaken. And, and you know, once your heart is st- steadfast, everything else falls into place. You realize that, that your heart, because it is, uh, in essence, the place where your emotions are seated, that, that when your heart is in turmoil, your whole life's in turmoil. You know, when your heart's in turmoil, you make bad decisions. Say amen, somebody. When your heart is rocky, you make bad decisions about relationships. You let people in, you should let out. And you let people out, you should let in. When your heart isn't fixed. When your heart is, is uh, 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 in, in, uh, out of balance, when it is emotional and unsteady, you make bad decisions with your money. You spend money on things you shouldn't spend money on. You're, ra- you're irrational. You make rash decisions. When your heart is unstable, a lot of things happen. You say things. Any of you ever said things? You say things that don't need to be said, shouldn't be said. Or you say the right thing in the wrong way. Or the wrong thing in the right way. That's how the devil speaks. The devil will tell you the wrong thing in the right way. And he'll, talk, he'll make a, a lie sound like the truth. And so the, the, the Christian needs to be aware of this fact. That my heart needs to be fixed. I need to be steady. I've got to be led by the Spirit of God. My heart has to be anchored to the Word of God, to the promise of God. I've got to have, I have got to have my heart in a place that it is governed by God so that it's God that governs my relationships. It's God that governs my money. It's God that governs my decisions. It's God that leads me to do the things that I should do and, and not to do the things I ought not to do. It is God who stabilizes my heart. And friends, once your heart is fix that things can happen in your life and it doesn't ruin your day come on somebody when your heart is set when your heart is 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 set on God you can have a bad day and not have a bad day you can have a bad day and not lose your mind. You can have a bad day and not lose your, your joy, not lose your, uh, your spirit. You can still have the, the peace of God in your life because your heart has been steadfast on God. And so this, this afternoon, I want to encourage you to let God set the settings of your heart. Let Him be the one that governs and dictates your emotions and puts your heart at ease. How do you do that, Pastor? You do that by being in the presence of God. 
You do that by being in a place of worship and prayer. Because, you know, when you get into a place of worship and a place of prayer, then God's presence inhabits your life and your heart is filled with the God who is able to make the arrangements of the things in your heart and in your life. Look at what David said. My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing. I will sing praises even with my soul. David says, in order to get my heart right, I've got to get into the presence of God. I've got to get into a place of worship and adoration to the living God. That's why it's so important for you and I to learn how to practice worshiping God. It's good for you to worship God when you come to the house of God. But you know what? I encourage you to worship God while you're driving. Worship God while you're doing the dishes. Worship God while you are doing your gardening. Worship God while you're washing your car. Worship God even while you're sleeping. All right, uh, just worship God. Let your whole life be uh, about giving God praise. Just let the praise of God come out of your mouth every once in a while. And you don't even have to have a reason for you to say, Lord, I praise you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The Bible said, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. You know what? why we have to do that? Because praise draws our attention upward. Your heart gets troubled when its attention is on the circumstances around you. But when you start praising God, your attention gets drawn upward and you start singing like we sang tonight, you are worthy of your name. You are worthy of your name. And that draws your mind and your heart its attention toward God. And then we started singing that he was holy. And we heard the words of Isaiah as Isaiah said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Where was he? He was high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And I Isaiah starts telling us that instead of focusing on the funeral of a king, he started, he started to realize there's a king above the circumstances. There's a king above my storm. There's a king above my trial. And I can praise him and worship him. And as my attention is drawn to him, my heart begins to realize, you know what? God is bigger than the guy at McDonald's that messed up my order. God is bigger than this flat tire that's ruining my day. God is bigger than Hurricane Harvey. God is bigger than all of the things that are going on. God is bigger than, than a, a bad diagnosis or bad news from, from somebody in your family. God is bigger than all of that. He says, my heart is steadfast. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. You say, Pastor, I, I, I don't have a good voice. I'm not a good singer. That's why we have congregational singing, all right, so that you can just let your heart sing to God. Don't ask me for a microphone, all right? I'm going to do that. But you worship God from right where you are and let your spirit be filled with the spirit of God. Because the Bible said that the, that the, the Lord inhabits the praise of his people. God moves in to praise. He makes himself known. It's like a little boy. You know, you have him in the other room, and mom and dad start talking about that little boy. And say, you know, he did really good in that baseball game, did he? Did you see how he hit that ball? Did you see how he ran? And that little boy starts inching his way closer to the kitchen because they're talking good about him. 
Did you see that A he got in math? And before you know it, that little boy's up on the counter like this. Tell me more. That's what happens when you start worshiping God. The Lord starts moving in a little closer. Says, wait a minute, there's something going on down there. I've got to get in the, into the place where I'm wanted, where I am desired. And he moves in. Somebody say, praise the Lord. My heart is steadfast. I will sing, yes, I will sing to the Lord. Now, go to verse 7. Because there's another phrase here I want you to notice. Verse 7, he says, God has spoken. Now, here we have a clue as to why David's heart is steadfast and why he's able to praise God. Because he's saying, God has spoken. Now, here, here's what I want you to hear and understand tonight. David is saying, God has spoken, and what he said, even though I haven't seen it yet, it's done. The moment he said it, it was mine. The fact that he said it, it's mine. And in that, my heart can be steadfast. I can, I can be steady. I can be stable. Because God's word is unchanging to me. God's word is eternal to me, friend. I don't know if you realize this or not, but the Bible is full of God's promises toward you, of the things that God has spoken about you, about your family, about your marriage, about our community, about our church. Come on, somebody. God has spoken, and God's word is a good word. God's word is a blessing word. God's word is a healing word. God's word brings freedom. God's word brings deliverance. So when David says, I don't care if 10 of the 12 king tribes don't want to acknowledge me as king. God said they were going to do it. So before they know it, they're going to do it. If God said it, it's mine. My heart is fixed. I can praise God. Because of what he said. Now, this implies a faith on the part of David that you and I have to cultivate in our daily lives. Because some, some people, not here at Kingsway, but some people in other churches that I have visited from time to time, they only praise God once God has done. Once God has given them the car they were praying for. Now they're ready to praise him. But praise isn't what you do after the battle, praise is what you do in the middle of the battle. Did you hear me? I said praise is what you do in the middle of the battle. Praise isn't what you do when the problem is fixed. Praise is what you do when you're in a fix. All right, it's what you do when you don't see the way out and you can't see your way clear and you say, you know what, God, I'm going to praise you anyway because of what you said to me, because of your word. It implies that David believed God's word. Friends, this is essential. Tonight, you and I have to cultivate this in our daily life. Do you believe God's word? If you believe God's word, then you can possess God's word and its promises. If you don't believe his word, you can't have what it says. 
Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That means what you believe about God's word is what you can possess in your life. The scripture says this, that the children of Israel who wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, Hebrews chapter 4 says, they did not possess the promises because they did not mix what they knew with faith. Listen, they knew God's word, but they didn't believe it. And so if you know God's word, but you don't believe God's word, you can't possess God's word. You can't possess the things God has promised and which God has spoken into your life. But when you can believe what God has said, even before he does it, then you'll be one of those that Jesus said, when he spoke about after the resurrection, when he said, blessed are you, blessed are those who believe and have not yet seen. Those people who can just take God at his word and say, you know what? God said that he was going to do this, and I believe him. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 gives us a little clue about this. It says that the patriarchs, that they died without obtaining the promises, but they rejoiced seeing them from afar. You know what this tells me about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? It, says, it tells me this. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob died without obtaining the full pie which God had promised. But their faith was so big that they realized that God had spoken something that outlived them. When they died, they realized, you know what? I thought this, was, this pie was just for me, but I didn't realize that this pie was for the generations that were to come. And so they died, and their faith was still intact because they said, you know what, if I didn't get all that God promised, it's because the promise is so big, it's bigger than me. I wonder if there's anybody in here tonight that's willing to believe God for a promise that's bigger than you. A promise that's bigger than your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. A promise that reaches generations. That's the kind of faith that we have to cultivate. The kind that says, I believe God's word. God has spoken. Say that with me. God has spoken. So, you know, tomorrow when something comes into your life that contradicts the, the promise of God over you, you just tell that thing, God has spoken. And smile. And praise the Lord. And thank God for his promise, for his goodness, for his presence in the midst of your life. What has God promised? What has God spoken? He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said, when you walk through the valley, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil. For I am with you. He said, when you go through the waters, they will not overtake you. When you walk through the fire, not even the smell of smoke will be upon you. He says that he will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. He said that he sent his word and he healed all of your diseases. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about the promises of God that are over your life. Do you believe God? Say it again tonight. God has spoken. And you know, if God has spoken, David says, I will 
rejoice. These ten tribes are out there saying, you're not going to be king over us. We'll have it our own way. You don't, you're not going to tell us what to do. And, you know, that went on for about seven years. Seven years or so, David was denied the full crown. But that whole time, he stuck to the fact that God had spoken to him. And he was un moved from that promise. And in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 18, the prophet of God comes to David and he tells him, David, look, the things that God has spoken into your life, God is going to do. God is going to fulfill every word that he has spoken into your life. And I'm here tonight to tell you, God is a promise keeper. Come on, somebody. I said, God is a promise keeper. The scripture says that God is not a man that he should lie. No, the son of man that he should change his mind. And if you ever lied, don't raise your hand, all right? This is not an altar call. And if you ever change your mind, can you raise your hand about that? Yeah. God's not like us, is he? He's not a man that he should lie. No, the son of man that he should change his mind. What God has spoken with his mouth, he will do with his hand. That's what the word of God says. What God has spoken with his mouth, he will do with his hand. Friend, you don't have to worry about whether or not God will do what he said. You just need to wait on it and trust and worship while you wait. And so David adopts this mentality. I, God has spoken. I will rejoice. Look at the, the third phrase there of verse 7. He says, I will measure out Sukkoth. Now, here's the first thing I want you to see. When he understands what God has spoken, he says, I'm going I'm to pull out my measuring tape, and I'm going to start making plans. Any of you ever started making plans? Uh, I could see them already, the little bubble up above your head. There's this house on such and such street with such and such address, Pastor. I'm already measuring out the drapes for that house. Come on, is there any amens in the house of God tonight? He says, I started measuring it out. It's not mine yet. But I already know the dimensions. I already planned it out because God said it. And if God said it, then it's going to be mine. It's done. Come on, somebody. I said, it's going to be mine. It's done. God has, has made this plan for me. He's provided it by his word. And what God said he'll do, he'll do. He says, I'm going to measure out Sukkoth. Now, here's the thing. Sukkoth was actually enemy territory. And the first thing David puts on the list as he says, I'm going, to, I'm going to find victory over the enemies within my house. I'm going to find victory over the enemies that are, that are within. You know, we have enemies without, right? But there are some enemies within. And it's like what, this, what Paul said. He said that there are enemies without and there are Perils within, fears, worries, uh, concerns, 
unbelief, doubts, those things that trouble our hearts. And he says, God, you're going to have to root those things out. I'm going to have victory over the enemies that are within my gates. Come on, somebody. God has promised you victory over the enemies in your house. Say amen, somebody. I don't, I'm not here to say you might have some enemies in your house. I know that you have some enemies in your heart and you have some enemies in your house. And God is saying, I am going to get the enemy that's in your house. I'm going to give you victory over the enemy within your gates. You see, it's one thing to have an enemy outside the gate. You can at least sleep at night when the enemy is on the other side of the gate. But when the enemy is in your house, you have to sleep with one eye open. God says, I'm going to shut both of those eyes when you sleep. I'm going to take the enemy out of your house, out of your gates. Hallelujah. The Lord says that, the Bible says that the Lord blesses his beloved even in their sleep. Remember one, one time I went to a conference and uh, I came out of the conference. It was, night, it was night and my car didn't start. Enemies within. And I thought to myself, well, being as how daddy didn't raise a mechanic, it's going to be a problem for me. And it's late at night, and uh, I said, well, the Lord blesses his beloved even in their sleep. So I called a taxi. I said, take me to my hotel. Took me to my hotel. I said, pick me up in the morning, and you're going to take me back there. All right. He picked me up in the morning, took me back there. I said, Lord, I believe that you bless your beloved even in their sleep. So while I'm sleeping tonight, this car is your problem. I came back the next morning. Taxi dropped me off. Got, it, got out of my uh, got to the car, opened it up, turned it on, drove six hours back home. Not a problem. Come on, somebody. The Lord blesses his beloved even in their sleep. Why are you losing sleep over something you can't control? God's got it. So I have to ask the Lord, Lord, why did I have to spend $60 on a taxi? He says, just so you can know that I can provide for taxis too. God is not limited, friends. He can root out the enemies within. He says, I'm going to measure out Sukkoth, that place where your enemy used to sit. God says, go ahead and plant a, plant a garden over that. Go ahead and plan for what God is going to do when you have that free time back in your life. He says, then in the next phrase, Gilead is mine and Manasseh is mine. He starts talking about not only the enemies within, but now he says the borders of my, of my kingdom are established by God. These, these uh, tribes, Manasseh and Gilead, were beyond the Jordan. They were, they were border tribes. And he was saying, God is going to give me not only the things I have, but he's going to press my borders to a new place and he's going to give me a secure gate a secure border God is going to do this and then he says Gilead and Manasseh 
They are mine. They are, they are already mine. They're going to have allegiance to me. He speaks of those things which are not as though they are. You know, that's what faith does. Faith speaks of things that aren't as though they are. Faith sees what the eye can't see, what the natural mind can't see. Is there anybody in here with some faith? Faith, faith says, Gilead is mine. Right now, their face is turned against me. Right now, they are my enemy. Right now, they don't want anything to, to do with me. But they're going to throw me a party one day. And they're going to invite me in one day. They're going to show me allegiance. That is exactly what happened to David. The scripture tells us that uh, this, this uh, group that he mentions uh, later, that they brought him, they, brought, they celebrated a feast in his honor. The people that were hating on him one day were loving on him the next. God can turn things around. So watch out when your enemies start blessing you. You got to watch out. You don't try to pay back all the years that they, that they were your enemy. You just got to let it go because God says, I'm going to turn those things around. He says, I will set a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Come on, somebody. God says, I'll do that. Then he mentions the three greatest enemies of Israel, Moab, Edom, and Philistia. He says, Moab is my washbowl. You don't really know what that is. In the ancient day, that was basically the sink. He says, Edom is my, uh, over Edom I will throw my shoe. He's talking about that little, uh, that little rug that, they, that you set outside of your shower. Where you leave your slippers. He says, Judah will be my uh, Philistia. I will shout aloud. He's talking about the Philistine army and their terrorizing of the nation of Israel. He speaks to those most vile and difficult enemies of Israel. And he says, every single one of them, God has promised me that their land will be the possession of the nation of Israel. And that God will give me victory over my enemies. Friend, I'm here tonight to tell you that I don't care what the enemy is you're facing. He can be strong. He can be powerful. He can be mighty. He can be wicked. He can be disgusting to look at. He can be scary in the middle of the day. But whoever it is, God says, I will bring your enemies to nothing. I will give you victory. I will give you victory. I will give you victory. You will win. Come on, somebody. God says, I will cause you to win. You say, but pastor, I'm facing the enemy of addiction or the, the enemy of, of poverty. I'm facing an enemy that has plagued my family for generations. In Jesus Christ, you have victory over every power of hell and over every power of darkness. The victory belongs to the children of God. Come on, somebody. Moab and Philistia and, and Edom are going to bow before the, the children of the living God. No stronghold, no fortress will be able to stand. And then in verse 13, he says, pardon, verse 12, if you look at that, he has a question here. Verse 10, he says, who will bring me into the besieged city? Who's going to do this? He says, God, you've spoken. You've made these 
promises. And really, what is a promise except a commitment from God? You realize that God has made a commitment to you? Are you committed to him? Because God is committed to you. God has, has, has put his word on it. He's put his name on it. And so David says, who is going to, to deliver the besieged city into my hand? This is an important question because David is asking it in two ways. First of all, in the Old Testament, we see this question asked twice, once by Moses, the next time by Joshua, and both of them are asking God, God, who are you going to, who's going to give us the promised land? In the first case, Moses asked the question because the Lord said to Moses in Exodus chapter 33, he said, I will give the nation of Israel the land that I promised them, but I will not go with them. And, and he said that because they had worshipped a, a foreign god and they had rejected the covenants of the Lord. And he says, I will not go with you. I'm going to give you what I promised, but I will not go with you. There's a warning there for us. Don't ever be, don't ever be satisfied with God's stuff. Don't ever say, God, I'll take the stuff over your presence. You got to say, God, I want your presence over the stuff. God said to Israel, I'll give you all the stuff I promise you, but I'm not coming with you. And Moses said, whoa, Lord, we're not going anywhere until you tell me who is coming with us. You've got to come with us. And if you won't come with us, we won't go up from here. He was saying, God, I don't care about the houses that we didn't build and the wells we didn't dig and the vineyards we didn't plant. If your presence isn't with us, we don't want to go. And friend, that is my heart and that is my prayer that you will cultivate such a heart and, and spirit that says, God, I'll take all the, I want, I want to have all the things you promised me, but I've got to have your presence above that. I've got to have your presence before a bigger house. I've got to have your presence before a bigger car. I've got to have your presence before a better job. I've got to have your presence before the university of my choice. I've got to have your presence before I win the game. I've got to have your presence, God, in my life. Your presence is what counts. And Moses was saying to God, God, if you don't go with us, we won't go. And then in the book of Joshua, again, a new generation had arisen. And Joshua says to the Lord, Lord, who will go with us? They had again sinned against God at Ai, and Achan had sinned against the Lord at Jericho, I should say, and they had been defeated at Ai. And Joshua asked this question, Lord, who will go with us? And the Lord said, oh, I will go with you. And now, finally, Jacob, or pardon, David asked the question, and he says, who will give this besieged city into our hand. Who will deliver this mighty promise? Who's going to do these things? Who is it that's going to deliver the promises of God into our life? And the Lord gives him the answer in verse 13. He says, through God. Who's going to do this? 
How's this going to come to pass? Through God. How is your, how is your family going to receive the, the healing that it needs? Through God. How does your marriage get your, restored? Through God. How do you get freedom from, from the, the thing that's plaguing your heart? Through God, friend. If you're looking for the answer, the answer is through God. It's not in man. It's not in systems. It's not in ideas. It's in the presence of the Lord. Through God, he says, we will do valiantly. If God is going with us and if God is doing these things, then we will see God fulfill every last word that he has spoken to us. And tonight, I want to let you know that that this thing you're praying for, this thing you're asking God for, this thing you need help in in your life, God says it's going to happen through me. I'm the one that counts. I'm the one that matters. Because I'm the one that has the, the power. I'm the one that has the plan. I don't care what's going on in your life tonight. Listen to the word of the Lord. God has a plan. God has a plan. Coastal Bend is going through difficulty tonight, but I say by the Lord, God has a plan. God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for your family. He has a plan for your future. God is a planner. Don't get lost. In the circumstances, look up and realize that the God who began this thing will finish what he started. And his plans for you are to prosper you and to give you hope and to give you a future. Come on, somebody. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for you. So tonight, let your heart be steadfast. Let your heart be fixed. Tonight, God has spoken, so rejoice. Put a smile on your face. Look at your future and smile happy because God is in control. And if God be for you, then who can be against you? Would you stand with me, please? Come on, just lift your hands and worship God. Through God, you will tread upon your adversaries. Come on, bless the Lord. Out of your spirit, out of your inner man, bless the living God. God has spoken, and I will rejoice. I will rejoice. I will rejoice. I will exalt in God. Because through all of life's storms and through all of life's seasons, God has worked out a plan. And he will make me glad. And he will bring glory to his name. I will bless the Lord. I will honor you, O oh God, for you are my righteous God. You are holy. You are holy. Come on, where's the voice of the church tonight? Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, let the name of the Lord be praised. Let the name of the Lord be praised.